If you will open scripture with me to Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Revelation 2, verse 18. Let's pray for God's blessing as we open his word. Lord, you have given us your witness in creation revelation and special revelation. And now as we open your word, may it truly be our light and our lamp. And may we listen with heart and soul and mind and strength. Bless me as your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faithful, your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her unto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, but only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father." And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Congregation of Jesus Christ, as we've been going through the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor, we've been noticing a pattern. A pattern first spelled out for us in Revelation 1.1. It's a message from God to Jesus, to the angel, to the church, or to John, and then to the church. And the same pattern is here. It comes from God to Jesus, to the angel, 
of the church in Thyatira this time. Jesus is writing to the church. The church that he loves, the church that he cares for, the church that is his body and his bride. Now notice how Jesus identifies himself. The words of him, and I'm going to skip a little phrase here. I'll come back to it later. The words of him who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This identification of Jesus by himself points to coming judgment and wrath. His eyes. His eyes are like lasers that cut through everything. And his feet are like bronze that tramples over anything and everything that gets in his way. Jesus loves the church. He loves his body. He loves his bride. And his judgment awaits any and all who destroy the church, wreck her, mislead her, or damage her in any way. It's a terrible, terrible sin to hurt what Christ loves. As mentioned, this letter is written to the church in Thyatira. That church and that city was the smallest and the least significant of the seven cities and churches of Asia Minor that we are going to be looking at. And yet this church receives the longest letter. Unlike Pergamum, which we looked at last time, it was not a center for emperor worship. Unlike Smyrna, which we looked at the time before, it was not a place with a large Jewish population. And unlike Ephesus, the first church we looked at, it was not a center of finance and banking. It had no political or religious significance. But there was one thing in Thyatira that set it apart from all other of the cities. It was known for its trade guilds. Using today's language, we would call it a union town. Now, it used to be that when we think of union towns, we would think of Flint, Michigan, or Detroit, Michigan. Not so much anymore. Now there are some cities in the Carolinas that are more unionized than Flint or Detroit. The guilds, the unions of Thyatira, controlled and dominated the city, its politics, its trade, its business. You did not work in Thyatira. You did not operate a business in Thyatira. 
Thyatira apart from the guilds. And you might rightly ask, well, what kind of guilds? A fairly long list. Guilds for wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, today we would say coats, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers. Now above those two, and I could have mentioned a bunch of other little minor ones, there were especially two trades that Thyatira was known for. The first was metalworking. And it's no accident that Jesus identifies himself as having feet like burnished bronze. Burnished bronze was a special kind of metal that was only made in Thyatira. Somehow, somewhere, sometime they accidentally discovered the secret to making burnished bronze. And it was secret they kept to themselves and did not pass on to others. Now here comes Jesus. My feet are like burnished bronze. He knows their secrets. Don't forget his eyes. His eyes are like a flaming fire. They see all things, and he knows all things, and he hears all things, and there are no secrets kept from Jesus. So he knows all about their metalworking processes for burnished bronze. A second trade that stood out in Thyatira, a second guild, was that of dyeing fabric coloring fabric. In Acts chapter 16, we meet one of the guild members, one of the dye workers, probably the owner of a business that produced colored garments. Remember her name? Lydia. She was an exporter of dyed fabric and she was probably the first convert of Thyatira. And she became a Christian through the ministry of Paul. Now I mentioned guilds because guilds were significant to the church of Thyatira. Significant because the guilds mixed business with religion. Every guild had its own special God. And membership in the guild required you to worship the God of that guild and after worship to attend a guild festival that included meat offered to idols followed by sexual activity with the priests and priestesses of the guild. Now in this light, I want to remind you, I want to point out to you what the church council in Jerusalem had ordered for those who were Gentiles. Abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. That's what the guilds required. And from blood. 
and from what has been strangled, and again what was required by the guilds, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Do you see the problem that guild membership required for the Christians of Thyatira? So what does a Christian in Thyatira do? Can he join a guild? Can he say, okay, I'm going to join, but I'm not going to show up for the festivals? Do I slip out the door when some of that stuff begins? And if I do join the, the guild, how long will it be before someone notices that I'm never participating in the festivals, in the eating and the drinking and the sexual immorality? Now, these aren't just academic questions. Real people face these questions in Thyatira, real Christian people. And this relates to us as well. How do we, my brothers and sisters, how do we as Christians relate to culture today? How do we as Christians fit in with our culture? What practices of our secular culture can we participate in? Let me give you some real examples of what Christians face today. As a Christian doctor or nurse, you are pressured to participate in abortions. A Christian teacher is told to keep quiet about her faith. A construction worker is asked to build a strip joint. A salesman is asked to lie in order to meet the sales quota. Young people were asked to join a sports club, which quite often, I'm afraid, meets on Sunday, and they skip worship. Or someone wants to become a cheerleader but you can be a cheerleader only at the expense of ripping down the competition. Turn on your TV today. How much of what is on there can we actually take a look at? Every TV show now, it seems, done by the big networks, includes gay couples or gay behavior. At nighttime, one of the last shows we watch to settle down our minds, quiet our souls, though I get upset when I see this, is we watch Wheel of Fortune. That makes me sound old, doesn't it? My mom and dad did that. But we, we just want to settle down. But have you noticed? Every third day or so, Someone who is gay, openly gay, is one of the participants. How far can a Christian go? We can't deny the faith, of course. We all know that. 
But what can we do? For Christians in Thyatira, it actually became a matter of survival. If you weren't part of a guild, you couldn't have a business there. It's through the guild that you got your business license. Apart from guild membership, you could not have a house or rent a house. You could not find a job. Your children could not be in school. How does one support a family and raise children in Thyatira without guild membership? To be an active and participating Christian, participating, that is, in a true church, meant economic suicide. And if we faced a question something like that, what would we do? When Jesus, who has eyes like a flame of fire, don't forget, he knows everything, how to make that burnished bronze, he knows the secret things of Satan. He knows everything. He sees everything. And when he looks at that church of Thyatira, he sees much to praise, encourage, and acclaim. I know your works. What works? Your love and faith and service and patient endurance. Now, love is described by that word service. Faith is described by that phrase, patient endurance. I know your works. I know, that is, how you show love by service. Now, service is something done by a slave in that society. Quite often, it was degrading to be a slave. I know your works, your loving acts of service. And so a rich woman like Lydia, we're only guessing here, but it would be something like this, would bring a meal to someone or wash the feet of a slave girl. The Christians of Thyatira, they loved Jesus so much, they were willing to do anything for the members of his body. I know your works. Part two, I know how your faith endures, even in the face of trials and persecution. Talking about persecution and trials from the guilds. They were willing to die for Jesus. They were willing to be like Antipas of Pergamum, like Polycarp of Smyrna. We looked at them before. In Thyatira, there was no small love, nor was there a small faith. I know your works. 
and a further word of praise, that your latter works exceed the first. Guess what? They're growing in the faith, increasing in godliness, becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more holy, growing in the sanctified life. And I can't help but observe that this is the opposite of that first church we looked at, the church of Ephesus. They started so good, that church of Ephesus, but they lost over time. They lost over time, remember this, their first love. Remember where you have fallen, says Jesus to the church of Ephesus. Repent and do the works you did at first. But Thyatira, they weren't that way. You're doing more now than when you first became a Christian. More love, more faith, more service, growth, and the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now remember, his eyes are like lasers, like a flame of fire, Jesus Christ. And he also sees something to criticize. Now permit me just for a moment another comparison with that church of Ephesus. Ephesus was known for theological discernment. It knew what it was to be orthodox, to be true. That was a church that knew its theology. But it had no love, or at least ended that way. Thyatira has the opposite problem. Love, service, but no theological discernment. Now what exactly was the problem of Thyatira? Jesus boils it down to one name, name of a woman. Jezebel. Now we can safely assume that was not her actual name. I can't imagine anyone having the name of Ahab's evil, wicked wife. And we can also further assume that the name is a symbol, symbolic of that evil, wicked wife of King Ahab. In other words, the Jezebel that Jesus is talking about in Thyatira, an evil, wicked woman. Now that Jezebel of Thyatira, she was persuasive, authoritative, eloquent, a smooth talker, someone I'm willing to bet who could drop Bible verses at the drop of a hat. Successful, powerful, influential. She had to be all of that or she wouldn't have had a following in the church. Now notice what Jesus says about her. Jezebel calls herself. Calls herself. She calls herself a prophetess. Who calls a prophet? 
not the person themselves, but God. She calls herself a prophetess, and that means that she says, this is what the Lord says. I have a message from the Lord, and this is what he's telling you through me. Now we know her message was not from the Lord because the Lord calls her to repent. Because she says the exact opposite of what the Jewish church council had said. She says Jesus misleads, beguiles, deceives. And falls in line with the deep things of Satan. In that church of Thyatira, there were two influential, powerful women. The one given the nickname Jezebel. The other one, Lydia. And they're opposites of each other. One teaches what is not taught by Jesus. The other puts herself under the word of Jesus and loves and serves Jesus. And this one loves and serves herself and Satan. Now the Jezebel of Thyatira, we don't have her exact message, but reading between the lines, her message was something like this. God spoke to me. And God says it's okay for Christians to participate in the pagan guild festivals. You can eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's possible to engage in pagan worship while being a Christian. God told me you're not being asked to renounce your faith. And we all know the pagan gods are not real gods. They're only imaginary gods. So don't jeopardize your families. Don't jeopardize your business. Don't lose your home. Don't lose your job. You can be a part of the guild. Now notice something very, very important. Jezebel was in the church, not outside. The big bad wolf was not out there, but in here. She sounded Christian. She looked Christian. People believed her when she said, I have a message from God. She was a wolf, to use Jesus' words, dressed in sheep's clothing. And so people believed her. In the church, people believed her. But if there's anything that church history teaches us, the church, like the church in Thyatira, is able to withstand attacks from the outside. But most attacks, my brothers and sisters, most attacks against the church, at least the worst ones, the most deadly ones, come from inside the church. So we need to be watching. Outside, yes. Inside, even more. We need to be careful. We need to be praying. 
All of our spiritual defenses should be tingling when someone says, God told me. I've been a pastor for 45 years. God has never told me anything. <laughs> At least like a little voice. He has told me plenty, but from here, the word. Now, what is the response of the church in Thyatira? I think you already know what I'm about to say. Jesus uses the word tolerate. Well, let's back up just a minute. There were those in the church who took seriously what Jezebel said. They followed her. And then there were others who did not follow her. But the church as a whole, they tolerated Jezebel. Those who disagreed didn't say, hey, Jezebel, you're wrong. You're flat out wrong. You're a heretic. God never told you a darn thing. Why are you telling us this stuff? And the others, wow, we just love hearing this. The church tolerated her and her message. I come from the Christian Reformed Church originally. I had the sad, I shouldn't say honor, sad happening of going to synod a number of times and they approved all sorts of things that we as Christians cannot possibly approve. And it was reported afterwards, the meeting of synod was bathed in prayer. Synod was a place of an ocean of brotherly love. How sad. People would say that, you know. We need to love. We can't be harsh. We can't be divisive. Let's bathe all of this in prayer. Let's be understanding of those who need to work and provide for their families in Thyatira. Or will they drag in the children? Don't forget those innocent little children. They need to eat. No issue is worth it if we sweep all differences under the rug and bow at the altar of political correctness. Now we face questions like this. Let me mention too that I've come across lately I have to confess that I'm a lurker, referring to a blog site on the internet. That means I watch, but I don't ever contribute anything. Now, there was a blog site dedicated to the question, would Jesus enter a strip club? 
And you can guess the arguments both ways. Well, he came to seek and to save what was lost. The Pharisees complained he sat down with sinners and tax collectors. So, of course, he would go to a strip club. And the others, they would point to what Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, because what you have in mind is not the things of God, but of Satan. I'm not going to answer that question for you. You have to think it through. More recently, Ruth and I heard outrage on the question, can Christian parents or grandparents attend the gay wedding ceremony of a family member? Now, let me give you some guidelines. Yes, we need love. No, we don't need tolerance, compromise, accommodation, and political correctness. And I'm not going to claim it's easy to know what to do every time. We need to find a way in the Christian life where we are still loving, but always true. Now, I want you to notice exactly whom Jesus is talking to and about in his letter. He calls them my servants. A servant is someone in this instance who is totally dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given his or her life to Jesus. So what we have at Thyatira is not false Christians, not false believers, but they are believers who tolerate and are led astray by Jezebel. Remember their love and their faith are not fake, they're commended by Jesus. But they've compromised. We need faith. We need love. We don't need compromise. We end with Jesus' exhortation. Not just to those who follow Jezebel, but to the entire church, Jesus says, repent. Hold fast what you have until I come. Hold fast. Grasp. Seize. Don't let go. Don't let your grip slip from the truth. How? How do we do that? I have three answers. Read the word. Read the word. You've heard the third one. Read the word. You don't need to become an expert in the cults to refute false teaching. All you need to know or to do is read the word. You don't need to bow down before false idols. You need to read the word. You don't need to wonder about what is the right thing to do. All you need to do is spend time with the word. 
When someone says, and I mentioned this already, someone says, God told me. Open the word. Remember the Bereans of Acts 17? They didn't even trust Paul. He came preaching. They checked what he said against the word. Read the word. Now you know what would happen today if someone like Jezebel appeared on the scene, and there are a lot of them. All kinds of self-proclaimed prophets. I think you know what happens to them today. They would be on TV. You could buy their books on Amazon. They'd probably be a speaker at a national religious conference. Is Oprah still on TV? If she is, they'd be on her TV show. And the message of today's Jezebels are found on Christian radio. No! Read the word. Hold fast what you have. Now Jesus ends with a promise. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. You're going to rule, says Jesus. You will rule with me, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Now, in the middle of Jesus saying this, is a quote from Psalm 2, and if you look at Psalm 2, that talks about the coronation of Israel's king. And Israel's king in Psalm 2 is described as the Son of God. That brings me back to that phrase that I skipped in Jesus' self-identification. The words of who? The Son of God. Our passage begins and ends with Jesus as the Son of God. As him with a kingdom, power, rule, and authority. And if you're an overcomer, if you endure to the end, if you hold fast to that word, you get to rule with Jesus. And a second promise, I will also give him the, the morning star. Or as the last section of Revelation 22 says, bright morning star. Now the morning star image comes from numbers. It comes from Revelation 22 and that refers to Jesus. What does Jesus promise to those who overcome? He promises himself. You get me and more of me and more again of me. He who has an ear That doesn't mean you just hear, that means you actually do. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says.
to the churches. Let us pray. Lord, may we hear and listen and do. May we base our faith and our works and our love on your word and your word alone. In Jesus' precious name, we pray this and God's people say,